Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. Church, how are you today? Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Crack that bottle open so I can get going here. Yeah. Let me just, uh, you know, I, I, I really firmly believe in being transparent when it comes to um, life in general. And uh, so my story for this message this morning is a little interesting in the fact that I started working on this sermon about two weeks ago which is my norm, and uh, I worked for about a week on subject matter that I thought was very important, and it was very important to me personally, and so I thought, well, maybe that's what I need to do to, you know, interpret this whole thing, and then I came back to my desk and my computer last Monday morning, and I sat down to continue on with what I was doing, and the Holy Spirit just quickened me as almost like Somebody was in the room talking to me. I had to kind of look around the office to see what was going on. And, and it said, the, vo- the voice said simply, go back and read your notes on communion. And I've spoken on communion two or three times uh, since we've been here. And I thought, well, why? Yes, it's communion Sunday. And, and, I in, and we always typically have communion on the last Sunday of the month. And, and I typically speak on the last Sunday of the month. I could talk about communion every time I speak and it would be very appropriate. And, uh, but that's not been the case. So I went back and I started reading through my notes. And I read the first sermon. I thought, well, that was nice. And I got into the second one and I just began to weep uncontrollably. So I grabbed my box of Kleenex and put it under my arm and sat there. My Kleenex in one hand and my mouse in the other. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading down and I'm crying like a baby. And I'm, oh man, oh man, oh man. Okay, Lord, what's going on here? So, I get all done, I listen to this song that we're going to sing at the end of this segment, and uh, I'm, I'm still crying and snotting and bawling, and I'm a mess, I'm an absolute mess, and at that point I'm very thankful that I'm in the office by myself with the door closed, and Shalise is just upstairs hanging out, playing on her tablet and watching cartoons, but the Holy Spirit just really spoke to me strongly, typically I would not go back and repeat a sermon But this morning's sermon I'm going to repeat. I I shared it with you three years ago, almost to the day. I looked at the date, and uh, just within just a few days, uh, three years ago, I shared this sermon with you. Why communion? Why communion? And uh, our text this morning comes out of 1 Corinthians. So if immediately right off the bat you're offended for the fact that I would present a sermon that I've already shared with you once again, then I don't know what to tell you. 
you know, why don't you talk to the Holy Spirit and find out what he has to think, okay? I know what he said to me, and he said, go back and do this one, okay? And not because I wanted to be lazy. I already had subject matter that I will share with you uh, next time I speak, okay? I can even tell you what the title of the sermon is next time I speak. Are you angry or are you just mad? Okay? Are you angry or are you just mad? So I'm going to talk about that next time I speak, but today we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper, okay? And you all know my personal story. I've shared with it, shared it with you over time, over uh, time and again. But I got saved at a very young age. My folks were pastors. I got saved at the age of five, and that means I've taken communion almost 800 times in my lifetime. Uh, I, every time the, the communion plate has has been passed, and I'm right there with you know getting the elements and going along with the program. And uh, so it's been a lot, and, and it's nothing that I ever want to take for granted, to be very honest with you. The fact that just reading through these notes and reading through the scriptures again could stir me to such emotion uh, of gratefulness and gratitude and, and, and humility uh, tells me that communion is such a very important part of our lives. So I want to look at that again today. Let me start by share, sharing a story with you again. Every Friday, the old man would walk on the beach with a bucket full of shrimp, feeding the seagulls. His name was Eddie Rickenbacker. In October of 1942, he had been sent on a mission to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur. With a hand-picked crew, they flew their B-17 flying fortress across the southern Pacific. Somewhere, the crew became lost, the plane ran out of fuel, and went down in shark-infested water. For eight days, the crew survived in a life raft. They ran out of rations and knew that only a miracle would save them. So they prayed. And as they prayed, Eddie Rickenbacker felt something land on his head. It was a seagull. And he grabbed the bird, and the guys ate the meat and used the intestines as bait and caught fish. The crew survived thanks to one seagull that was hundreds of miles away from the nearest point of land. That is why years later, every Friday, Eddie Rickenbacker would feed the seagulls. From a heart full of thanks, he would remember the one who had journeyed, listen to this, so far to sacrifice his life for his. Like Rickenbacker, we too have reason to look back and give thanks. Amen? So we're going to do that today. We're going to look back and give thanks. Jesus' words to us in our text today... And our text comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a very familiar passage of Scripture that we probably quote from more than we could realize, but we're going to look at it today. Jesus had lots to say. The Apostle Paul interpreted it so well. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, look back and give thanks. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. 
A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and he drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's referring to death. You're just toes up, that's all there is to it. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined. Oh, don't you just hate that word. We are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with those in the world. So again, what is communion? Why do we take communion? Well, communion is one of the tenets of our faith. It's been around forever. For as long as these words were said, communion has been a regular happening. And why do we take communion? Because Jesus said so. Amen? It's good enough for him. It's good enough for me. I'll tell you that. So I'm going to have you look at three things today. I don't have a plethora of slides or notes, but we got a few. Number one today, looking back, looking back in our past. This refers to verses 24 and 25. There are some moments in all of our lives that I would call pivotal moments, okay? For some of you, it was your wedding day. Was there, it was your first wedding, your second wedding, your third wedding, whatever, whatever, okay? It was your wedding day, okay? What can I say? For some of you, it was the birth of your child, or multiple children, or maybe a grandchild, or 11. You never can tell, right? But these were pivotal moments in your mind. They, they made a mark in your calendar of life. And since that mark on that calendar of life, nothing's been quite the same. Everything changed It's a little bit different, okay? Everything that came after that moment was different than before. For each one of us that calls ourselves a believer, probably the greatest pivotal moment of our our lives was when we came to Jesus Christ, amen? We came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As I've told you before, I did it when I was five years old. Five years old. I'm grateful for that. And I'll, I'll probably talk about that a little bit more later on in my notes, but... The Lord's table, a time of remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. When I read that line, I think about the visual from The Passion of the Christ. That movie just gets me, I'm telling you. It just digs deep into me, and boy, oh boy. To think that the God of eternity eternity loved all of us, and me individually. That he loved us so much that he was willing to give his only son, that I might have life. Did I turn too many pages? No, I guess I'm okay. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9 says, You see at the time, and at just the t- right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Boy, that says a mouthful, doesn't it? I don't know if you'd be willing to die for somebody that you just thought was, and Vernon just shared it, a wretch. Somebody that was just in a terrible place, in their life, I don't know that I have that 
stamina in me and that kind of compassion that I would give up my life for somebody like that. Boy, oh boy. Unfortunately, we easily forget what God has done for us, you know? I'm 63 years old, been saved all my life, pretty much. Sometimes it's easy to kind of get, you know, take it for granted. Memory loss, whatever you want to call it. We have short memories. We, we do take it for granted at times. And as the old saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. What does that mean? Familiarity breeds contempt. Let me tell you what it means. Extensive knowledge of something leads to a loss of respect. Leads to a loss of respect. Over time, we can lose sight of what Christ has done for us because we're familiar with it. We've come to church so many times. We can do it. With, we can drive to church with our eyes closed and almost get there by osmosis. You know, we've got our Pentecostal radar on, and the car will take us to church. Some of us have been around that long. But if we lose sight of what Christ has done for us, our relationship with him becomes this, empty religion. Empty religion. And we're just blindly following a set of rules. And that just makes life miserable. You know, growing up in church, there were, you know, my, my folks were, bless their hearts, they found a lot of rules and regulations that weren't in the Bible. We, we call it legalism now, but they were very legalistic. And uh, it didn't make my relationship with Jesus any easier sometimes. I remember when I had to sneak out of town. I had to drive out of town two hours from Roseburg, Oregon to Albany, Oregon to go stay with my friend Les so I could watch my first movie in a theater. Couldn't do it in my own town. God forbid that I, I was the pastor's son. And if I got caught... And I couldn't go watch a movie in my own town. I had to go out of town. And I remember sitting in the theater. Now, the movie that night was Young Frankenstein. It was stinking hilarious. If you've ever seen it, it is funny. I mean, I laughed my fanny off. But the fact that I had to battle legalism to to get there, just, huh? Maybe I couldn't enjoy it as much. I don't know. I don't know. But I remember those days, and, and thank God that we're not living in that time here. And and that generation anymore. When we participate in communion, we are calling into remembrance what God has done for us, and that helps us not to forget what He's done for us. Amen? Okay. One author puts it this way. Baptism is like a wedding. We just baptized some folks over the last couple of weeks and uh, dunked them in the, in the tank and sprinkled them with a little holy water, and they're better off for it now. Baptism is like a wedding. It's a marking point that you can look back to, a public decoration that serves as a pivotal moment in your Christian walk. If this is true, then communion is like a wedding ring. Like your ring, communion is a constant reminder for us of what God has done to save us and of the decision you made to follow Christ. Wearing a ring is an act of remembrance. It's an act of the will which then affects the mind and the heart. Every morning when I go to my dresser and I put on my watch and I put on my ring and I grab my phone and I grab my wallet and I'm ready to attack the day, when I slip that ring on my finger, I, it makes me remember as simple as that little cheap $120 ring is because I'm, I'm the one that... Uh, the, the, fir- the first wedding ring I had was very nice 
And, uh, but I was always crushing the thing. I would go move a musical instrument or a piece of furniture or something, and, and it would just d- destroy the ring, and I'd have to take it in and have it fixed. And then the, the second wedding ring I had was in the same shape. I, w- I don't know what I was thinking. So I told Teresa, I said, you know, I beat up all those really nice rings over years. And we were in Maui, and I walked into I didn't have a ring on my finger because they were just, they were just, they were a mess. So I walked into this little shop, and I, I picked out the simplest silver band the lady had in the rack. It was 120 bucks, and I thought, you know what? I've never bent it up. I've never broken it. It's never come unraveled. And it reminds me every day of the I do's that I said to Teresa Marie 45 years ago. Yeah. And that's my reminder every day of how blessed I am to have this lovely lady as my spouse. Let me share another story with you, okay? We're talking about helping us not to forget of what Jesus and and Father God did for us. Some years ago on a hot summer day in South Florida, a little boy decided to go for a swim in the old swimming hole behind his house. In a hurry to dive into the cool water, he ran out the back door, leaving behind his shoes, his socks, and his shirt as he went. He flew into the water, not realizing that as he swam toward the middle of the lake, an alligator was swimming toward him. His mother, in the house and looking out the window, saw the two as they got closer and closer together. In utter fear, she ran toward the water, yelling to her son as loudly as she could. Hearing her voice, the little boy became alarmed and made a U-turn to swim to his mother, but it was too late. Just as he reached her, the alligator reached the little boy. From the dock, the mother grabbed her little boy by the arms just as the alligator snatched his legs. That began an incredible tug-of-war between the two. The alligator was much stronger than the mother, but the mother was much too passionate to let him go. A farmer happened to drive by, heard her screams, and raced from his truck, took aim with his pistol, and shot the alligator. After weeks and weeks in the hospital, the little boy survived. His legs were extremely scarred by the vicious attack of the animal. As on his arms, there were deep scratches from where his mother's fingernails had dung into his flesh in her effort to hang on to the son she loved. The newspaper reporter who interviewed the boy after the trauma asked if he would show him his scars. Little boy lifted up his pant leg and said, and then he said with obvious pride, he said to the reporter, but look at my arms. I have big scars on my arms too. I have them because my mommy wouldn't let me go. Wouldn't let me go. Do you know that the scars on the hands and the feet and the side of Jesus, do you know that they're still there to this day? I don't believe they were magically dissolved or or went away, but they are there as a reminder that God in his great love for us would not and could not let us go. That's how much he loves us. We may walk away from God, and, and turn down his offer of love and redemption and regeneration and all that he offers us. But he's not going to let you go easily. He's going to make it difficult. Communion reminds us of the price, those scars in Jesus' hands that was paid for our sins. Let me ask you this question today. What were you like before Christ found you? What were you like? Before Christ found you. Yeah, some of you are chuckling because you know you were a character. Yeah. You were going to hell in a handbasket, and unless Christ intervened in your life, 
Yeah, it was going to be a quick and slippery slope, wasn't it? Now, like I said, for me, I don't have one of those drastic Hell's Angels biker testimonies. Got saved in a pastor's home when I was five. What do I know but God, his love, and church? Doesn't mean I haven't sinned. It just means that, yeah, wow. I tell you. But the day that Christ rescued me, that Jesus rescued me, will always be the most important day in my life. How many of you say amen to that? The day that he found you, the day that he rescued you. I can tell you where it happened. I could drive you to the little building in the Dalles, Oregon, right down the Columbia, a couple hours. In the Dalles, Oregon, it was my past, my folks' first church. John and Velma Mall were their first district superintendents. And uh, their first church, 1963, I could probably, if I could walk in the building, if I could get in, it's a Baptist church now, but if I could walk in the building, I could point you to the spot where I knelt and prayed and made the best decision ever in my life. Amen? Number two today, looking inward, in the present, looking inward. This comes in verse 28 and 32 of our text. When we come to the Lord's table like we're going to do today, it's time to look inward. We remember what Jesus has done and we remember what Jesus will do, but we must also examine ourselves to see what our condition is. Amen? Amen. There's an old country song about, it says, I wondered what my condition or what condition my condition was in. Yeah, some of you remember that, don't you? Well, sometimes when we, when we come to the Lord's table, we need to figure out what our condition, what condition our condition is in. Amen? Let me ask you today a couple of questions. How is your relationship with Jesus today? Are you on good speaking terms with him? Are you talking to him at all? Do you have your back turned toward him so he doesn't bug you? What do you see when you look in, within yourself? Paul writes that we are to examine ourselves in verse 28 of our text. What are you doing with your life? Are you following the blueprint that Jesus has for you? Are you following God's calling on your life? I realize that not all of us are called to serve in ministry or be in a pastorate full time or whatever, but God has a plan for you. He's put you in a, in a place in your sphere of influence and in your world where you can influence others for Jesus Christ. Your witness can help change somebody's life so they're not going to hell in a handbasket, okay? It's just that simple. Are you striving for holiness? Are you doing your best to live your daily life for Jesus? Or are you striving to hide who and what you are from him? Ask yourself those questions today. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Number 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness just means we're not in right standing with God. There are things in our lives that are, are standing between us and Him, us and his gift on the cross, that's all unrighteousness is. And how do we get rid of unrighteousness? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's an old song that we sing, we've sung since I was a kid. What can wash away my sin? 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You guys sound amazing. Sound amazing. But isn't that the truth? There really is no other way until we've accepted him into our lives as our personal savior and allowed the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's tree to wash us clean clean and cleanse us. Wash us clean from head to toe. Amen? I remember when I had a cousin. She's deceased now, but she came to live with us when I was, I think, in the fourth grade. She was a little older. Man, she came from a rough background. Went to church with us, gave her heart to the Lord, and uh, after she got it from the altar, she went and threw her arms around my my dad's neck. You got to understand the, the Pattersons, all except for, by the grace of God, our little segment of our family. Nine of my dad's brothers and sisters all died from either alcohol or drug-related deaths, and the whole family was a mess. And Tricia had lived. At the age of 13, she had lived a hell of a life up until that point in time. She ran and threw her arms around my dad. She said, Uncle Jamie, I feel like God took a wash rag to clean me all up inside. I just feel so clean and so pure inside like I've never felt before in all of my life. We're talking about a 13-year-old kid. Man, oh man. And I know that for some of you, And for all of us, really, what a change God made in our lives. Amen? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Number three today in my notes, looking forward, looking forward, looking toward our future. We find this in verse 26 of our text. The Lord's table is also about looking forward. Remembering where you came from is important, but it's really hard to walk forward. If you're always looking backward. Amen? How many of you know that's the reason that the windshield is ten times bigger than the rearview mirror? we got to be knowing where we're going, where we're moving forward. It's okay to look back, check every once in a while. But we got to know where we're headed into the future. Amen? At the Lord's table, we also remember that we have a hope and we have a future set before us. Jeremiah 29.11 is a promise from God. It's my contract, my personal contract with God. He's going to give me a hope. He's going to give me a future. And he's in my corner. Amen? When I think about that, I think about these guys that go into the ring to box. But they always go back to the corner to get refreshed and refurbished. And their spirits lifted by their coach, their trainer. He's in my corner. Amen? He's in your corner today. Jesus Christ died on the cross, but he didn't stay on the cross. Amen? He didn't stay in the tomb. I love that fact. He's the only religious leader in, the, in history that walked out of the tomb. The rest of the guys are just a pile of dust somewhere in the ground. But not Jesus. He came out of the tomb. He's alive and well. 
And because of the cross, we have a hope, we have a future. A young pastor was in his office preparing his sermon one day, and his little daughter came in and said, Daddy, can we play? And he answered, he said, I'm awfully sorry, honey, but I'm right in the middle of preparing my sermon. In about an hour, I can play. She said, okay, when you're finished, Daddy, I'm going to give you a great big hug. And he said, thank you very much. She went to the door, and then she did a U-turn and ran back and gave him a bone-breaking hug. And he looked at her and he said, honey, you said you were going to give me a hug after I finished. And she answered, Daddy, I just wanted you to know what you have to look forward to. Isn't that good? It's what we have to look forward to. When we take the bread and the juice, we look forward to the day that Jesus will come back for us. Not as a baby in a little, in a little swaddling clothes and a, and, and a manger, but triumphant on a white horse as a risen Savior. Amen? One day we will sit. You know, I think about this little portion of, of, uh, of these stale wafers. These are, these are COVID cups, by the way. These are so you don't have to take a, uh, a pass-around pack kind of thing. These are individualized COVID cups, COVID communion cups. And I think about the day when we eat this bread and drink this cup, I think about the day that one day we will sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the Bible says, and for a thousand years we get to pig out and we get to hang out with God and Jesus and all the angels. It's going to be an amazing time. Amen? So what we do today... It's just an appetizer. It's just an appetizer, a foretaste of what is to come. Amen? Revelation 19. Moving right along here. Revelation 19. 6 through 9. says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, a roar of rushing waters, and like loud pedals, or peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. That's you and me, folks. If we we run the race and we stick it out and we we last, we, we make it through the marathon... That place is ta- that at the table is set for you and me. Amen? And ironically, when Jesus sat with his disciples in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he sat with his disciples, he knew for a fact that that would be the last time that he would take communion with them. They didn't know that, but he knew that. That would be his last time to break the bread and have the wine and, and share that experience together. And think about, think about it this way. It could be that you will see Jesus before you take communion next time. Man, if you look at what's going on around the world, and it is a mess, isn't it? And yet we live in God's grace, and God said he would take care of us. But he could come back next week. This could be our last communion experience. And I say, Lord Jesus, come quickly, please. You know, Can it get any worse? Well, I'm sure it can. Got a lot of folks out there prophesying doom and gloom. But it could be that when you take this communion today, it could be the last time we take communion in the church house setting. The Bible says that none of us know the hour when he'll come back. 
And none of us know the time of our own death. We're not given any insight to that. I thought about the difference of we attended uh, the memorial service this last week for Bob Giles, senior, in Longview. Bob lived to the ripe old age of 90, served God every day of his life, according to the testimonies of his family and friends around him and those that were with him in leadership. And I thought, on the flip side of that, my closest friend when we were in Tacoma, his name was Oni Shackett, and he was on staff at the church there with us. Oni died at 43. And I thought, wow, what a difference. Both men were loved God, served in ministry, served the church wholeheartedly, gave everything they had to that. One got to live till 90. The other one died at 43 of a massive heart attack. And uh, we don't know when our time is up. We could guess at it. I've told the Lord, Lord, I'd like to live until I'm 75, and the closer I get to 75, it's like, Lord, if you need to push that out a little bit, hey, I'm more than good with that. I'd love to to live long enough to walk Shalise Marie down the aisle for her wedding, you know? And she's only nine years old, so I'm going to have to watch my P's and Q's. But we should be expectantly waiting for the, for the return of the Savior. Amen? The word is pregnant with anticipation. If you start doing the research in the uh, Greek and Hebrew and all of that, pregnant with anticipation, so to speak, of when he is going to come back and receive us. And communion reminds us, as we look to the future, of his triumphant return. Now, let me get ready to close this up here. And as I do, I want the band to come back to the, to the stage. We're going um, to worship together. And I trust Evelyn got everyone a communion cup in their hand. Glad that one's not open yet. Yeah, nice catch. If you did not get a communion cup handed to you yet, uh, slip up your hand and Evelyn will put one in your hand, okay? Okay, make sure everybody's got one. Uh, I will warn you now that it's a two-part deal. The t- top clear plastic layer comes off to re- to uh, to yeah to let the uh, cardboard frisbee out. Okay, yeah. Like I say, it's just for COVID. That's all. Don't. It's not. It's not forever. Okay. And then I'll open the second half of that in a minute. Let me finish up with this story. Okay, and then we'll sing. A young woman in England many years ago always wore a golden locket around her neck that she would not allow anyone to open it or look into it. And everyone thought there must be some romance connected with that locket and that in the locket must be the picture of the one she loved. The young woman died at an early age and after her death, the locket was opened. Everyone wondering whose face they would find within the locket. And in the locket was simply found a little slip of paper with these words written on it. Whom having not seen, I loved him dearly. My Lord Jesus was the lover she longed for. Lord Jesus Christ was who she longed for. And her locket reminded her of that on a daily basis. Just like that wedding ring that I put on every morning. It reminded her every day of who her love was, and one day she would see him face to face. 
Let me ask you today, what reminds you of His love for you? Is it when you were saved? Is it an experience in between? I remember when I was baptized in water, dunked in the tank, 13 years old, Los Gatos Assembly of God. The church still stands. church is doing great. But uh, there was a revival going on, and they offered to baptize anyone during the week that week. And I just thought, like, you know what? I've been in church all, all of my 13 years. I need to get baptized. And uh, there was an evangelistic group there, the Meeks Family Singers. And uh, I so looked up to Randy and Jenna Meeks. And they now pastor down in Texas somewhere. But uh, I got baptized in the tank that week, and that was one of those pivotal moments that I can look back at and say, God was in my life. God was moving in my life in that place, in that moment. I remember when I was called to the ministry. I was 16 years old. It was up Highway 14, up the Washougal River Road at Salmon Falls Camp. That's where God put a call on my life. I'm not in ministry because my dad was in ministry. My dad did not call me to ministry. My parents did not do that. The church did not do that. There was a moment in a camp meeting where God put his thumb right in the middle of my heart and said, you're mine. And I've ordained you with a purpose and a cause for the gospel's sake. Don't do something stupid, young man. Amen? Amen.